0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Week 11 edition of Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Cimini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. We have a great show on tap for you this week. Thanks for stopping by, as always. In the second quarter, we're going to have a visit from former Jets tight end turned analyst Anthony Beck. He's going to be joining us, and I'm really looking forward to that. I've known Anthony for 20 years, and this makes me feel old, but I remember... The day he came in as a member of that celebrated 2000 draft class for the Jets with four number one picks. He was the fourth. And uh, he's really made a smooth transition into the media world. And I'm looking forward to asking Anthony about one Trevor Lawrence. Because I know as an ESPN analyst, he's done some of Trevor's games at Clemson. And I know he's met him, had an opportunity to talk X's and O's with him. And I think Anthony's going to bring some insight to the table on Trevor Lawrence, along with some other Jet topics. But right now, let's discuss the headline this week. On Monday, Adam Gase announcing that Sam Darnold will not play against the Chargers. I can't say I'm surprised. As you guys know, last week's podcast, I said don't be surprised if Darnold misses another game. It just didn't feel right, what I was hearing, and just the concern within the organization. And I think what we have here now is a situation where the tenor of this injury has changed whereas when it first happened on october 1st it was let's get him back going as quickly as possible you know he'll maybe miss a little practice time miss a couple of games but we'll get him out there we'll give him some painkillers on sunday and he'll play through it and he'll tough it out well that attitude has changed after he aggravated it against the chiefs on november 1st now i think everyone has taken more of a conservative approach and I think it's the right move for both sides. And to me, it shows that Darnold is seeing the bigger picture right now. And you know he's a team guy and he wants to be out there, but this is one of those rare occasions where the player needs to put himself above the team. And just listening him to talk to reporters on Monday in our conference call, I, I think he gets that now. Uh, he used the word longevity, as in career longevity, noted that he doesn't want to re-injure it again. And it, it was a different Sam Darnold that I heard on Monday. And I think he's looking out for number one right now, which is a good thing because he's got his future to think about. This is his right shoulder. You know, this is not his left shoulder. This is not a, uh, you know, a pinky or, you know, this is his shoulder. This is his livelihood. And so kudos to him for thinking that way. And I think the Jets are thinking at it as a business decision right now. They view Darnold as a commodity a commodity that they likely will try to trade in the offseason, especially if they have the number one pick in the draft. And they don't want to put that commodity in harm's way and risk losing value. Right now, I think the Jets could get a 2 and a 5 for Darnold. That's probably the market value. If he goes out and gets hurt again, they're not going to get a second-round pick for him because then he's got to, he's got a shoulder that would be injured three times. So the Jets are playing it conservative now. As I said, it's a business decision for them, just as it's a business decision for him. Now, when is he coming back? Darnold said he won't come back until he's 100%. Now, I talked to Dr. Eric Freeman, a well-known orthopedist on Long Island, spoke to him actually when Darnold first heard this in October, And Dr. Freeman's been on the money with how long and the timelines and everything like that. And he said he used the word borderline uh, in terms of whether Darnold would be able to get back to 100 percent over the next seven weeks left in the season. So this may not be a case where he gets truly all the way back to 100 percent. He could get close. And when I asked Dr. Freeman, you know, just about, you know, did he do further damage? And granted, you know, he has not examined him personally, but watching from afar and knowing this injury as well as he did, he said it's basically two things happened. It's either an exacerbation of the original injury or a progression of the original injury. Um, And if it's a progression, you know, that means he did more damage. That means there's some ligament damage between the clavicle and the AC joint. And that would not be good if there was further damage. You know, the original, it was a sprained AC joint. So by definition, that means a partial tear. And by playing with a partial tear, you are more susceptible to further damage. And he's hoping that that is not the case and that this was just really an exacerbation. uh, Hoping that it did not put him back to square one in terms of rehab. But as we know from what Darnold said and from what Adam Gase said, he's, he's now on a throwing regimen. He's still rehabbing. I would not be shocked at all if we do not see him next week against the Dolphins. I think we could be looking at multiple games here. For Darnold, Who this will be his fourth missed game. I wouldn't be surprised if that number grows to five, maybe even six. I do think he'll be back this year. Uh, people in the organization have told me that they're optimistic about that Darnold himself said he's, quote, confident that he will be back this season. I just hope, like he said, that he's coming back with a healthy shoulder. For his sake, for the team's sake, no sense of rushing him back anymore. So this is something to definitely keep an eye on. You know, the the prize, the pot of gold that every Jet fan is looking for is whether they can get Trevor Lawrence. So let's update you on our Lawrence watch. As you know, the Jets still have the number one pick at 0-9. According to ESPN Analytics, they have a 61% chance of getting the number one pick. Jacksonville is in the two spot. They are one in eight. They have a 29% chance of getting the number one pick. We do know this. The Jets are not in a good position if they get into a tiebreaker simply because they've played a tougher schedule. Right now, their overall strength of schedule ranks fourth in the NFL Jacksonville's strength of schedule ranks 15th. That is a large difference that likely will not be able to, the Jets won't be able to overcome that difference over the last seven weeks. So it comes down to this. If the Jets win one game, there's a good chance Jacksonville won't. And that means the Jets are picking second because they're going to lose that tiebreaker with Jacksonville. If the Jets win two games, they're going to drop into a place where they'd be picking either three, four, five, or six Because, again, they do not have favorable tiebreakers against all the teams that currently have two wins. So it's a dicey spot for the Jets. We do know this, though, and this is good news for the Jets. Jacksonville has the fifth toughest remaining schedule. That's remaining schedule. And look at the games they're playing. they got Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Minnesota, Tennessee, Baltimore, Chicago, and Indianapolis. And when you look at that, you say to yourself, The one spot where they could win would be Chicago. Chicago looks like they're a mess right now. That is in Week 16, so it's a little bit out. Who knows what will be happening by then, but Chicago, especially with a potential injury to Nick Foles and uh, Trubisky still injured. So that could be a game where Jacksonville could win that game. The other game's extremely difficult, and the Jets have the seventh toughest remaining schedule. And really, to me... This Sunday is going to dictate a lot of the Jets' future. And I'm not talking the next few weeks. I'm talking long-term future because they play the Chargers. The 2 and 7 Chargers have lost 3 in a row. This could be the opportunity to get a win. And I know Jet fans are going to recoil in horror at the thought of that, but you know, they're 2 and 7 for a reason. No, we do have to say this. The Chargers get this. This kind of blows the mind. The Chargers have lost all 7 games. By one score, that ties an NFL record for most in a team's first nine games losing by one score, which is pretty mind-boggling. So they're not really they they're better than two and seven. In fact, their overall point differential is only minus nineteen, which is what you would expect from maybe a four and five or five and four team. So the Chargers are better than their record, but yet, as Parcells famously said. You are what your record says you are, so the Jets are going to L.A. refreshed, rested, coming off a bye week, and with a chance to get a win, and I think most Jet fans would just go nuts if that happens, but I'm telling you, it's a possibility, and if they lose this week, I think there's a good chance it goes all the way to the final week of the year when they play the Patriots again, so big, big game on Sunday. A big little game, actually. No one around the country cares about it, but Jet fans do, because this could dictate so much of their future. Back after this. I'd like to welcome in our guest this week. It's Anthony Beck, the former Jets tight end. You know him from his time with the Jets. He played five years with the Jets from 2000 to 2004. A total of 12 years in the NFL which is an outstanding career, especially at the tight end position, which is a lot of wear and tear. He's a college football analyst and he does a lot of pro analysis as well. You can see him on the Jets pre and post game shows for the Jets programming network. Anthony, really appreciate you stopping by flight deck.
1: Yeah, you got it, Rich. Good to be on. Uh, it's actually, uh, I've been dealing with COVID for about two weeks. So this is kind of my first, i uh, I've been I have a bunch of podcasts and things that I've been doing. I've been putting them on hold, man, just trying to, you know, get back. So this is my, uh, I guess, my first live performance here since uh, since I got shelled in the house for a couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, I saw you on. I did, I was going to ask you about that because you mentioned it on Twitter. How are you? I mean, most importantly, how you how you doing?
1: Yeah, I'm doing well. Um, you know, I, we had a little bit of a kind of a run through with our high school football team a couple of weeks ago, and I've been helping coach my son's a, a junior quarterback down here in the Tampa Bay area. And I've been doing that uh, during the season, being that I'm not calling college games because of the, the lack of games and packages with ESPN this season. But uh, it's given me some time to hang out. And, well, they had a little bit of a, a deal there. So it looks like I probably had gotten it through there. So me and my son actually tested positive. So uh, we've been home for two weeks just kind of, uh, you know, getting through it. And early on, it was I had some, some symptoms. Uh, the one thing I don't have right now is taste or smell, which is kind of amazing for a guy that loves food. And hopefully a guy comes back sooner than later. But other than that, just a little, you know, tired, you just your body's just trying to come back, you know, just the your air and stuff is just a, it's interesting how it all kind of being a bigger guy it kind of affects you, I guess, a little differently, but I've been good.
0: Okay, well, we wish you the best with that. And, uh, you know, I go Tony, Anthony and I, we've gone back 20 years. I was just thinking, (laughs) you know, and I I did a story about the 20 year anniversary of your draft. And that was historic because it was four number one picks. It's never happened before. I don't know if it'll ever happen again. And you were the fourth of those four number ones. Just looking back on your draft experience and being part of something historic. What's it like now, 20 years later, to look back on that?
1: It's unbelievable, um, and I always say I should have been the third. You know, Chad Pennington was the was the the wild card guy. He cost me about I don't know. Some say ten million, some say eight million. You know, I'll throw it out those numbers. They they get bigger when I talk to him every time. But mm-hmm. but no, uh, uh, unbelievable. I mean, think about it. You know, people and it's kind of big, you know, people laugh and stuff. But there has been at least in my time following the NFL and just watching teams draft players. When have you ever got that amount of talent, one in the first round? They all panned out and had long 10, at least 10-plus-year careers, and then add Lavernius Coles into that mix. I mean, to me, top to bottom, and you can say what you want, just league-wide. I don't know if, if, if any GM, Bill Parcells at the time, uh, could have done any better. I mean, if you would have landed two of those four guys or five guys and they would have panned out, it would have been a successful draft. And I just—it just goes to show to the, to the really the how hard it is to to find players to go out there and actually demonstrate that those players can, you know, step on the field, contribute right away, and and bring something to the table. And we had a really nice run. I wish we could have did it for our entire careers. Obviously, you know, that's impossible to to ask that. But uh, just just a phenomenal run, and just so many years of success and. You know, I, I, I'm just so proud of it because uh, it'll never happen again, Rich. It'll never, ever happen again. You'll never see the success of that many draft picks that high together that could put, a, put together a culminating career like that and, and, and have it. It's, it's something that i always remember.
0: Yeah, there's not a GM in the league who wouldn't sign up for a 10-year career for a first-round pick. <laughs> so with all, the five of you guys, counting Lavernius, that's over 50 years of, of NFL football out of five picks, which, like you said, is unheard of. I think the Jets – and that was a transformative draft because it really laid the groundwork for for three playoff teams in 01, 02, and 04. And and, and even 06, I know you were gone then, but, you know, they still had Sean Ellis and Chad Pennington for 06. So, really, four. the Jets need that kind of draft now. Like, what what are your thoughts just on – they have two first-round picks in in 21 – uh, five in the first three rounds. What are your thoughts on Joe Douglas and, and how he can get this thing turned around?
1: Yeah, you know, and I think it's, it's, it's important for your viewers and people that listen to this because everybody knows, you know, I've been working with the Jets. I've covered them now for a long time being a player. I'm a fan, but I also look at everything realistically and I want to give the honest assessment because that truly is what people want to know and feel. And, uh, you know, I, I think Joe Douglas is the best person to handle this general manager job for the Jets, number one, I just feel like the draft this year, and we finally got to see you know Mims recently in the last couple of weeks and what he can be. Uh, you know, Becton obviously was a home run hit for them. Uh, he's going to be there for you know probably longer than all of uh, all of them combined. Um, you know, those are great staples. Um, you know, he's he's far away from. The journey, there's a lot to be done and you can't get it all in one year. And when you do get a lot of it, which were a lot of the offensive linemen, uh, you know, continuing to add those pieces up front and find the right mix and get the right guys. um, You you can't just go out and go get a superstar receiver and trade away this asset to get this asset because you have to find out what's there. And and unfortunately, the rebuilding process has been something that Jet fans has seemed like they've been continuing to See all the time. It's a recycle. It's just, here we go. Here we go again. But at some point, you know, you got to say, okay, we have to be realistic about the situation and believe in what this process is going to be. So, you know, I think Joe's the right guy. He's got, listen, he comes from the pieces and the people, okay, that have done it right in this league for a very long time. So he's been able to learn from them and you have to take credence in that and believe in that process. Now he may have find himself in a position where he's going to have to make uh, an incredibly uh, difficult decision at some point because of the fact that if, you know, they continue to lose and put themselves in a position to be in a a favorable pick in the draft, man, you're going to, you're going to, all this lack of experience, but yet experience around others is really going to have to come through and shine and, and I think that's something you embrace and embody. So, you know, that's the first piece, I think, for him. And, you know, I'm on board with that, man. I, I, I just got a good feeling that, you know, there's a lot of pieces in place there. The, the draft picks, there's a, he's a very good evaluator. He'll get this right. And I like the people that he has around him, Chad Alexander and Rex, um, Rex. These guys, they know the game, man. They've been around some really, really important decision makers in the league. And I think they're set up in a good place for that standpoint.
0: So I got to put you on the spot. If the Jets get the first pick, what would you do if you were the GM?
1: You know, I think it's still uh, something that's in process. I couldn't tell you today um, that, you know, I would immediately take Trevor Lawrence and, 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 and go from there. Um, I will say this. Trevor Lawrence is an extraordinary player. He is a once-in-a-lifetime kind of quarterback. He's done it for a very long time at a very high level, and he really never, he's never lost. The kid has never lost in any level of football, period. It's just, you know, it's hard to pass up winners, right? It's just hard to pass up guys that have done it at that kind of level. Um, You know, listen, I think you, 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 you look at everything in that moment and say, okay, this is what we can get here, and this is what on the other side we can get here, and you just look at it and say, can our team be this much better with a piece starting from the hierarchy and work what we have, or can we get the you know, six, seven other pieces, plus the plus the cap and the number, and they're still going to have the number, the, the money to do those other things too. Um, you know, and, and it puts yourself in a predicament where, you know, I'm a big Sam Darnold fan as well. I really like Sam. You know, it's unfortunate, and Sam is part of what happens in the NFL when quarterbacks get drafted high to teams that aren't very good. Uh, they end up going some places. They're not able to build quick enough. You know, a lot of the teams that draft high are in predicaments. They've been there, you know, for, for years and years and years, and they just haven't been able to turn the page and get those things together. We're going to see this with Joe Barrow with the Cincinnati Bengals. I think everybody thinks that Joe Barrow is going to be a really good quarterback, but we also know that the history has shown that the Cincinnati Bengals have not supported the cause well enough. You know, they may say they have to. They may say they want to. This may be the time, but until we see that happen, I can't really gauge and say he's going to be that stud or moving forward like that. And then you have the quarterbacks that land in circumstances like Tua or Justin Herbert where, you know what, they do have some pieces. They're growing some good things. The coaching's doing well. They're actually winning in the process of building. Those are tough things to find as well. So um, this is going to be a unique situation for the Jets. Uh, Either way, I think they should embrace it because I think the team can get better whatever way they choose i just think you know you maximize whatever choice can be maximized the most you go with it and then roll with it but i will say that trevor lawrence is an extremely talented player
0: did you ever see him live anthony and any of yeah oh yeah
1: absolutely I, i've covered uh i called clemson twice uh last season and then the year before so I, i've been around uh you know him quite a bit uh got to speak with him uh you know he's just uh, he gets it you know he you know, from top to bottom, he's been through a ton of experiences, again, wins, just being a winner. Uh, and then coming from, um, you know, coming from Clemson and Dabo and, and the coaching staff there and what they're all about, um, you know, listen, I mean, he, he's going to be well-groomed to come in to a situation and really change and turn things around. So regardless if it's here or anywhere else, but it will be an interesting decision. And listen, there's some other good players out there, but he's going to be the one, obviously, that's going to be talked about the most for, for the teams at the top spot.
0: So you, you obviously had a chance to talk to him in some production meetings ahead of time exactly. you know, before games. And you, you probably can learn some stuff about people in those meetings because you do talk X's and O's. And you probably do get a chance to know the coach and the quarterback pretty well. So does he sound like a, a kid who's like a, a football junkie, a, a gym rat type mentality? Or is he just one of these, uh, you know, diva quarterbacks, you know, who's into the whole celebrity thing?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, those things, obviously, you can never really dig too deep into the mind and the hearts of a kid. I will say, though, he does come off uh, very real to me. Comes off very passionate about the game. uh, Comes off very dialed into to to the seriousness of what this is. And it's very important to to him to be great. Um, You know, it always comes down to, to a couple factors at the quarterback position. Do you have the it factor? Do you have the ability to shake off, move forward, and make the play. Um, I think the biggest thing, and I'm always, this is kind of something that I don't know why teams don't follow this or do it as much. And I, I wasn't a huge fan at all of Cliff Kingsbury getting hired as a head coach because I didn't like the process of how he earned it. But I will say this is it the smartest decision that you could have made for the quarterback that you drafted because it made sense in the world and the success of the quarterback of Kyler Murray. And you've seen that now how he's played and excelled. He's an exciting player to watch and they're doing it like no other team in the NFL offensively. So I would say this, whoever does get Trevor Lawrence, I would actually be even more on the, on the side of communicating with, whoever that coordinator, you know, Tony, uh, Tony Elliott, that coordinator that's there, I would, that could be a a package deal. Doesn't have to be a head coach, but I'll tell you from a play calling standpoint for a guy that knows somebody and you can get someone to come in right now. Okay. And he knows everything. The first day he hits the ground running and everybody else has to catch up with him. Could you imagine the upside to that from a team? I mean, people get enamored with the play callers and this and that, to me, it's just the familiarity of getting, getting the system going now. That's something I think whoever team uh, decides to, to look at that and has that opportunity at that number one should Seriously. Think about that. You know, I, he may not be the, uh, the top guy out there, the top play card, but he knows him the best. He's been around him the longest. Mm. It just makes too much sense. It's, it's a no brainer, but we know how these things work and you know, people have their ideas and things of that nature, but sometimes the simplest idea is the best.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tony Ellis name has, I've seen his name bandied about in some NFL circles. And of course Dabo would be, I mean, that's a big <laughs> name. I don't know if you'd pry him away from Clemson. He's probably making more at Clemson than he would yeah, be making no at way. the NFL. You that cannot
1: not... leave Clemson. You don't leave Clemson. ever. He's the you king.
0: Uh, you know, but you, you do mention Darnold earlier. And I want to ask you that uh, he's going through an injury right now. So he's obviously not going to play Sunday against the Chargers. And, from a player's perspective, and you probably dealt with some injuries. I know you were a durable player, but I'm sure you had injuries that you had to deal with. I mean, talk about the mindset of a player because he wants to be out there. You know, even though the team is winless, I'm sure he wants to be out there to help his team. But on the other side, he has to make a business decision as well. He has to look out for his own long-term future, which he alluded to on Monday's conference call Anthony, could you just describe, you know, probably, he's probably going through some very conflicting emotions right now. You know, take us inside his head and what he might be feeling.
1: You know, it's frustrating. You know, Sam puts the work in. He wants to be the guy that turns things around. Um, I still think he is, he can be and is that guy. I want to see Sam with everybody and the pieces around him that's available that should be there. It's not fair to, for me to sit here and judge him every single week when he's at a couple games he's throwing the guys that shouldn't be on the field. It's just the bottom line. It's not a knock on those players. It's just the real deal. You can't create plays, winning plays for players that shouldn't be on the field. It's impossible. You know, I know Gase takes a lot of rap and I'm not here to stick up for anybody. I just know that if you don't have the best people out there possible, you are, it's just tough to get done. And Sam deserves better. And it's not just, it's, it's nobody's fault. It's just random things that have just gone against him. And, And it's unfortunate. And, and this is the part of the process. And and it can be mentally straining. There's no doubt because you're forcing. He's a guy that, I don't want to say he's a guy that's out there like forcing stuff. But you can tell he really wants things to go right all the time, you know, from a sense that you almost feel like, man, you know, it's, it's a little too much there. You know, don't go that far with it. But, you know, he wants to get that greatness out of himself. And, uh, you know, we've seen some defining moments in his career, in his short career. He's done some things that you're really like, wow, this is impressive stuff. I mean, the kid is still, you know, getting his feet wet at the quarterback position, and, you know, you finally get some pieces together, and then it's never the same. Every week it's different, and it's just been a tragedy. It's just the most unluckiest thing, honestly, covering the Jets for the last couple of years, how the injuries have mounted up and the opt-outs and the pandemic. Add all these things together, how it can affect the team – and it's not an excuse. It's just the reality of the situation. And, you know, as frustrating as I want to sit there and watch the game and I want success to happen, i got to sit back sometimes and say, you know what, it's just not feasible sometimes. You just, you're just not good enough because of what's on the field to, to make it work. And that's just the, that, that the end of the day. That's the common answer to it. So, um, you know, hopefully he's healthy in a, couple, a week or two weeks. Everybody else around him is out there. I'd love to see him with Perryman and, and, uh, and, 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 Jameson and, 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 and Mims at the same time. I mean, you know, Herndon, I mean, you know, these guys need to be playing football together, more snaps, uh, more plays. They got a couple games to finish this season. I hope every single one they can finish out together because it will be crucial because it's going to ultimately decide jobs for all these people because it just, they need these, t- these games together, whether it's, You know, it's nobody's fault except the the nature of the business. They have to be out there together so you can get that evaluation and feel good regardless of the decision that you make moving forward.
0: I want to tap into your tight end knowledge a little bit here. And I remember distinctly in 2018, you and I were talking on the practice field at training camp and I was asking you about Chris Herndon and you were very high on Chris Herndon Mm -hmm. just because he was a a complete tight end, you know, a two-way guy. And now he's just in this funk this year, where he has not contributed.
1: What do you see of Chris Herndon this year? What's happening? I see a lack of focus. I see a kid that that again is, is pushing to do and 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 do more than he has to. And I, I really need to see. I, I really need to see them utilize him more. He needs more targets. He needs more chances. He needs more catches. You know, he should have two a quarter. Uh, you know, six to eight a game especially during this time. There's no excuse for him not to be heavily part of the offense. I need to see him running sail routes, seam routes, post routes, 50-50 catches. I need to see him split out. He needs to be utilized. The confidence level has to grow. The only way you increase the confidence level of players is by using them. I don't know what happens in-house. I don't know why during the week it's not like that or drawn up like that. I don't know who decides that. Uh, But for whatever reason – Chris Herndon can be a good tight end in this NFL. He has to be utilized appropriately. And if you're not going to get him the football and you're not going to give him the opportunities, he's not going to flourish into the guy you want him to be. So I know it's not hit their guy. They didn't draft him, okay? But, I mean, just look at what's out there and what's available and what you can utilize and his skill set. I would say he's pretty reasonable in the sense of, you know, the things that he can do with his body and, and some of the, the catches I've seen early on that there were signs of a bright light early in his career. Um, I just feel like you got to force feed these guys. I mean, make them successful. Force players to be successful. I hate when we just, okay, you get a drop and then he doesn't get a ball. This happened in my career with the Jets later on. You know, you get a catch or a drop and then you don't see a ball for two or three quarters. It's insane. It makes no sense the only way you get the confidence and the most out of guys is you continuously give, give them the, uh, make them feel the ability that they're important in that, in that position, in that offense. And I promise you, the majority of the guys will flourish most of the time. And until that happens, man, I just hate to see him go on the wayside and go somewhere else and have a little bit more success. So I just wish they'd use him more. I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's a head scratcher to me. And I really think deep down inside, he can be a very, very good player uh, still for the jets, but uh, until he gets those uh, continuous opportunities every single week, you're not going to see it.
0: But to play devil's advocate for a second, I mean, how can you trust a guy where it's it seems like every time the ball's thrown in his direction, he fumbles it or drops <clears throat> it? I mean, isn't it? A, I, I, it's kind of a catch-22. One of those I don't things.
1: care. I, I've seen enough bad football this year, Rich, right? I mean, let, let's be honest now. Nobody's out there deserving of – getting more than Chris or less than Chris or anything like that. You're in a position right now where you got to find out if mentally a player can carry himself for an entire year. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to make excuses for him. Should he be fumbling? Should he be dropping balls? Absolutely no. That's, that's not how it works. But I also know that it's a small, a small window of what I'm looking at compared to the other opportunities that he's getting. So, uh, yeah, it's frustrating to see those things happen. It, you're, you can play devil's advocate with it. But you got to keep get him the rock, man. Have confidence. I mean, if he had 60 catches right now, would you even be caring about those two fumbles? You wouldn't even be talking about him right now because he'd have, you know, 60 other catches in his back pocket. So, you know, that's the thing. You can only remember the opportunities, and, and the only opportunities he's had are been minimal, and they've been bad plays. And, and that's why you, you or the fans or nobody can shake it out of their mind because the kid can't get another opportunity to do something different. So I'm a big proponent of that. I truly believe that he can be successful. But – You know, I'm not the guy, you know, making those decisions. So we'll see what happens. And they like them. I I mean, I know they they like them a lot. I just – it's just weird sometimes when I watch it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I like them too, and I'm glad they're holding on to them. And I think you should give him another chance. He's got a year left on his contract. I think there's too much talent there just to toss it by the wayside. And so I'd love to see whoever's coaching the team next year give him another chance. And then if it doesn't work out, then it doesn't work out. But at least I'd like to see him get another shot uh so just looking at these last seven games what from your chair are you looking to see from the jets like what just hit me with a couple of bullet points that you want to see you're eager to see over the last seven games from this team
1: um i would like to see um some some execution and i'm going to move it out a little bit because i know it's hard to get there these days but from the 30 yard line in you know some creativity there, some ability to execute and score some touchdowns to finish the season. Um, again, it, it's, 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 it's a tough ask, though, Rich, because, you know, I, I think a lot of us are looking at some teams like, well, other teams can do it. You know, uh, look at the 49ers. Well, I, I've been watching the 49ers. They're not very good. I mean, they, they, they're not executing at a very high level. They got some really cute tinker plays that have worked well in the meantime that have gotten them through their their ups and downs but bad teams that have injuries and just dealing with things it, you have to be precise who would ask teams that are injured and have lack of talent to be precise every week it's impossible it's hard enough for the freaking buccaneers and and, and these other great teams to do it why would i think for 2 seconds and be real that a team that is decimated with injury uh you know has backup quarterback and moving pieces everywhere guys not playing new I mean what would you expect to see execution level has to go up it's easy to say but good teams that have players out there they don't execute a lot either but they get it done because they're able to make things happen in other areas you know if you watch the Chiefs on film I promise you, you're going to find 10 plays that just are poorly executed in a game. But, man, they, they can make four or five that are just going to score at any point. It's just the nature of the beast. So it, it is, it's, it's very, you know, touchy-go on, you know, what my expectation levels are for the Jets. I just want guys to go out there. I want to see energy. I want to see guys having some fun. I want to see some guys having some team collective unity out there and just say, you know what, man? We got some issues. There's no question about it, but let's not be stupid. Okay. Let's not get unnecessary roughness penalties. You know, let's not go out there and just do dumb stuff. Let's just be smart. Let's be smart for a game and see what happens. And that's what I want. I think we try to piece things together because we, we got to, you know, the offense has got to do this and we got to do that and we should run the ball more or they should be thrown to this guy or why are we in this defense? It really doesn't have to do any of that. It's just about guys doing their individual job. That's all. It's, it's, there's nothing more. It doesn't take a ton of talent to do that. You just got to be dialed in. So I just want to, I just want to see that on, the, when I see that on the field, like, you know, the Patriot game, you know, and there was some bonehead stuff that happened there that, that gave that game away. But when you watch that game, you know, you see it. I mean, Patriots are a good team, man. And they hung with them. They should have beat them. I mean, it's bottom line. They should have beat and won that game. You know, you, you do see a little bit of getting better for longer, extended periods of time. And that's how I kind of look at it. You know, are they ever going to put a four quarter game together? Man, it's going to be tough. I'll be honest with you. I don't know if they will. I just don't know with the pieces that I have now. But I'd love to see some of these healthy bodies and some of these guys that were supposed to be there day one be on the field for at least the last three, four, five games. Because that's what I want to see, so I can get a true evaluation of what's there, what they have, and what I can secure onto moving forward.
0: Yeah, so it's it's built baby steps and building blocks
1: is basically, uh, you it's know, it's got to be extra- baby steps. Yeah, you gotta have. If you got anything bigger than baby steps, then you're just a a, a seven, you know, a sixty year fan that just you know is just sick of everything. And I get it, but you got to look at it a little more real on what is actually going on this year and the change and the turnover and things of that nature. And then let everything else sort it out and and let's see. This is a year to year process. This is not happening. You know, if you believe in the sense that this thing can turn and. 18 months or you know the you know 12 months after Joe Douglas takes the the helm. I mean you're you're seriously mistaken, man. He stepped into a, you know, this is a job that, you know, took some 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 leaning towards Joe. Joe wasn't like, "Yeah, I got to I want that job right now." Right. I mean, it, you know, he had to think about this thing and and you know, he's dove into it. So he's all in now and I, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it pans out. It, it's an exciting time, I think. As bad as it's been to watch, I do see a lot of upside and opportunity there. You know, it is frustrating as a former player, and you want to see good things. Absolutely. I want to see them win all the time, but I also am realistic in the process as well.
0: Well, Anthony, thank you so much for stopping by. I really appreciate it. Jet fans can listen to him on the pre- and post-game on on the Jets Programming Network, and uh, you'll be back. I mean, Anthony did a great job in college football. I mean, when he was, (laughs) you know, you've got to get him back on college football because I think that's where he shines. He was a terrific player at West Virginia, and I think his son is going to be playing somewhere in a couple of years. He's a very (laughs) highly uh, regarded quarterback in the Tampa area. So, Anthony, thank you so much. And most of all,
1: feel better, man. Feel better. I appreciate
0: that. So you can get out of the house.
1: (laughs) No, man. Thank you. Stay safe, uh, Rich, and thanks for having me on, bud. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. (whistles)
0: And welcome to the third quarter. We are reaching into the Twitter mailbag. And we're going to start it off with at TMS, now Sill. Why has there been less production out of Herndon and Griffin than Griffin Brown when everybody was sure that Herndon would be an upgrade over Brown? This, of course, is referring to the tight end situation. And you are absolutely correct, TMS. The Jets have only 22 catches out of their tight ends. The only teams with fewer tight end receptions are the Panthers and Patriots. This uh, Herndon's disappearance, one of the bigger mysteries of this crazy, rotten Jets season. And, uh, you know, here's an interesting little nugget that I dug up. The Jets' tight ends actually have the highest drop rate in the NFL. It's 8.1%. They've dropped 3 out of 37 targets. That's actually higher than the Giants' which is kind of stunning because we know Evan Ingram drops so many passes, but the Giants have a lower drop rate because they have seven drops in 89 targets. So bottom line, the Jets' tight ends are not capitalizing when they do get their chances, and they're getting fewer chances because they're being asked to block more in pass protection because the offensive line has not been holding up as as well as expected. So combination of reasons. At sports underscore F-I-3-N-D, what type of head coach would be the best for the Jets? Uh, The way the team is currently constructed should be a CEO type, offense, or defense. And let me add to that, sports, uh, don't forget about special teams, because we've seen John Harbaugh with the Ravens, and now Joe Judge with the Giants looks like he has the potential to be a good coach. So here's what the Jets cannot do. They can't fall into the same trap they fell into two years ago with Adam Gase. You can't try to fit a profile. Two years ago, they tried to get a young, bright offensive coach to groom Sam Darnold. Everybody was doing it around the league. Everybody was looking for the next Sean McVay. I think the Jets just have to hire two things, the best leader and the best teacher. And teacher is important, too, because the Jets are going to have a very young team. So teaching will be important. Leadership and teaching are the two qualities. Forget about labels, offense, defense, special teams. Get the best leader and teacher. Next one's from at Can Sadupo. Can, can sad dupo. Sorry, I botched that. But what do you think is the best option moving forward, drafting Trevor Lawrence or trading him to get more picks? Well... Look, if they trade, let's say the Jets end up with the first pick and they trade down to three or four because a team really wants Trevor Lawrence, the Jets would make an absolute killing. It would probably be the the biggest, short of the Herschel Walker trade, it might be the biggest trade ever because they would get easily two future number ones, uh, probably multiple number twos, and it would be a massive killing, but... Uh, Personally, I think the best move would be to draft Trevor Lawrence, and I mean, there's the economic reason. If you draft, the first pick next year is probably going to be about a four-year, $36 million contract, whereas right now, you only have Sam Darnold for one more year at $4.6 million. And even if you want to give him the fifty year option, which I think is highly unlikely at this point, then you're talking about two years, $30 million. So what would you rather have, two years, $30 million, or four years, $36 million? Obviously, it would be the rookie contract. And that's if everything is based equally on talent. And it's not. Trevor Lawrence is a better prospect than Sam Darnold. And if you're Joe Douglas, you, want, you don't want to be the guy two years from now who's watching Trevor Lawrence rip up the NFL as a superstar quarterback. You don't want to be the guy who passed on him. So personally, I would take Trevor Lawrence. Next one from Matt, Matt Romano, 19. If Darnold manages to salvage his job by winning a few games this year, do you think the Jets bring in some competition for him? Maybe a Fitzpatrick type? Absolutely, Matt. The Jets could not go into next year. Uh, with a situation the way they currently do. You would have to bring in some competition for Sam Darnold. And there will be quite a few intriguing possibilities. I'll name some names. Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, Tyrod Taylor, Jimmy Garoppolo. And this one would be a long shot because he wouldn't be a guy you'd bring in for competition. But he is a guy who I think would be available, possibly, and that's Matt Ryan. Because if the Falcons draft a quarterback... Uh, either one, two, or three in this draft, and we know they'll have a high pick, then I think Matt Ryan's days are numbered in Atlanta. But you wouldn't bring in Matt Ryan to compete with Sam Darnold. You would bring in Matt Ryan to be your quarterback. So just a name to consider, though. Next one from at jshiffy underscore James. How much is Joe Douglas to blame for the Jets and Sam Darnold taking a giant step backwards? And how much is Adam Gase's responsibility? Well, you know, James, I I look back to Joe Douglas's first press conference um, a year and a half ago, and he talked about the quote-unquote sense of urgency to win immediately because they had a quarterback on his rookie contract. And he should have built the team with that in mind. If he did, it doesn't look like it, and he failed. And if he didn't, then shame on him because he missed a window of opportunity so Basically, a lot of this is Joe Douglas' fault because he built this team this year. He built it. He had an offseason for a draft and a free agency cycle, and his first incarnation of the Jets failed. He's 0-1 as a team builder. Now, luckily for him, he's going to get another chance at it, and he's already started by rebuilding. So that'll be the second incarnation. But yes, he deserves a lot of the responsibility, and I, I think he did take accountability in that press conference recently. And, of course, a lot of it's Adam Gase's fault as well. And you know the reasons. The offense is just really, uh, most weeks, non-competitive. A final question from at Ben37298659. What makes you think Joe Douglas will focus primarily on defense during the draft when each position group outside of special teams needs an upgrade? Ben is, of course, referring to my... Sunday notes lead from last week when I talked about the importance of building on defense. I also mentioned free agency, Ben. So it's not only during the draft, it's during free agency in, as well. And here's why. The Jets have only 37 million committed to their defense in 2021. That's the lowest cap in the league for defense. Number two, they only have two of their top nine snap leaders on defense under contract for 21. So basically, they don't have much. They have to add players. And I'm not saying they have to use their first pick in the draft on defense, because if they have the first or second pick, we know it's going to probably be a quarterback. But they have a lot of other picks. They have eight other picks, and they have five in the first three rounds, and you're going to see a heavy accent on defense simply because they need corners. They need edge rushers. They need inside linebackers they need pretty and they're probably going to need a safety as well because marcus may will be a free agent so uh, i'm not ignoring the offense believe me i know you want to build around the quarterback whoever it is but there is uh, a shortage of players and talent on defense that absolutely cannot be ignored When you're 0 and nine, there's really no drama left in your season. But for the Jets, there is some suspense as we make our way toward these final seven games, and the suspense is: Will they end up with the number one pick? Believe it or not, as much as the Jets have lost over the course of their franchise history, they've only been in this position, you know, not often in recent years. Uh, Quite frankly, in 2018. They flirted with it briefly. You know, you may recall they were 3-9 and nine going into that game at Buffalo, and they won it on a late touchdown by Elijah McGuire. And that touchdown ended up costing the Jets the first pick in the draft, as it turned out, which was Kyler Murray, and then Nick Bosa went second, and the Jets drafted Quentin Williams third. Had, had the Jets lost that game, they would have uh, theoretically ended up with the first pick, probably would have drafted Bosa. You know, remember in 2014 we ha- we built it as the Mariota Bowl. The Jets were two and eleven, and they went down to Nashville to face the Titans. Rex Ryan knew he was going to get fired, but the last thing he wanted to do was leave the Jets a going away present of the first pick in the draft. I think Rex was in his vindictive stage then, and he wanted a win. And uh, you know, so they ended up winning uh, that game, and they won two out of their last three which cost them any shot at Marcus Mariota or Jameis Winston, and so the Jets ended up with the sixth pick, and they took Leonard Williams. Uh, The Jets have not had the first pick in the draft since 1997, and we all know what happened that year. The Jets, uh, look, Peyton Manning was eligible to enter the draft, and I'll never forget it because uh, he had to make an announcement. It was a deadline. He was going to have a big press conference at his college campus in Tennessee, So I worked the phones the entire day before trying to find out if he was going to go pro or not because the Jets had the first pick. And I was going chasing my tail for hours and hours. And finally, I got a good source who told me, this is going to surprise you, Rich, but he's staying in school. So I worked for the Daily News at the time, and we had a back page story that said Peyton Manning is planning to stay in school And, you know, whenever time you break a news story, there's always a little uneasy feeling in the pit of your stomach because you wonder if you're going to be wrong. So I took a flight the next morning down to Knoxville, Tennessee, crack of dawn to attend the press conference. And I'll never forget when I walked off the uh, off the plane into the terminal, I saw a, a newspaper box with the local Knoxville newspaper and the headline plastered across the front of the page was how Peyton Manning was leaving for the NFL, and my heart sank because I figured, oh my gosh, they're the local paper. They must have some inside information that I didn't have. So I went to that press conference uh, really in a glum mood, thinking I had just blown that story, and I was literally sitting about 10 feet away from Peyton as he made his announcement, and true to Peyton's personality, he played it great. I mean, he had this poker face on. He went through this Must have been about 60 seconds of speaking, and you just honestly didn't know which way he was going to go. He was really painting a picture that he was leaving school, and then all of a sudden there was a pause, and he goes, but I've decided to remain at Tennessee for my senior year. And we're not supposed to cheer in the press box. We're at a press conference, as it were, but I felt like cheering that day. I almost wanted to run up and throw my arms around Peyton because he validated my story, and I know Jet fans were devastated and Bill Parcells was the coach at the time, and he ended up trading that pick for a bunch of draft picks, and they ended up with James Ferrier, who was okay, but they could have had Peyton Manning had he decided to leave school. Uh, so there was one Jet Beat reporter in Knoxville that day who was very, very happy that it turned out that way. As it turned out, a franchise-altering decision by Peyton. I honestly think it wasn't an anti-Jets thing, I just think he couldn't get a commitment from Parcells. He thought there was a chance Parcells would trade the pick. And then he'd end up somewhere else, maybe somewhere where he didn't want to be. And I've talked to Archie over the years, his father, and I really don't think it was like, get me away from the Jets, get me away from Parcells. I think had he received a commitment from the Jets, he would have entered the draft. Parcells wasn't willing to give that commitment because technically it was illegal at the time to speak to the player or his representatives before the draft. So a very uh, memorable chapter in Jet history, and they could be going through something similar this year. I do think Trevor Lawrence will turn pro. The landscape has changed from back then. I'd be shocked, absolutely shocked, if he went back to school. And that's not just me talking. I've talked to agents around the league and people in the league. They think he's coming out. But time will tell. We'll know that in the middle of January. I want to thank you guys for checking into Flight Deck this week. I'd like to thank my guest, former Jets tight end Anthony Becht, for stopping by. Thank my producer, Jeff Scopin. And you can pick up Flight Deck anywhere you get your podcasts, including any of the ESPN platforms and Spotify and Apple, Google Play. Just pick us up, give us a listen, and tell us what you think. I'm really anxious to get some feedback And enjoy the game on Sunday. Jets at Chargers. Can they make it 0 for 10? We'll find out, and we'll talk to you next week on Flight Deck.